Heavenly Father, this morning as we've uh, just rejoiced in who you are through song and prayer, I ask that you'll continue to send your Holy Spirit to nudge our hearts through this message. May we hear your voice clearly calling us to be more and more mission-minded. So just bless us now and speak to us loudly and clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, no matter if you're a Dolphins fan, a Bucks fan, a Jaguars fan, or any other NFL team fan, you only had two choices on Sunday. You could either be a San Francisco 49ers fan, or you could be a Kansas City Chiefs slash Taylor Swift fan, right? <laughs> One or the other. Uh, I could not have cared less who won the Super Bowl because I'm a diehard Falcons fan, which is embarrassing. That Super Bowl is still a little tender, so let's not joke about it today. But I'll tell you what, the week before the Super Bowl, my Instagram feed was filled with this guy right here, Brock Purdy, filled with it. In fact, I had to root for the Niners because of this guy. What you may or may not know about this man is he is a sold out disciple of Jesus that he oftentimes speaks about his faith, but more than that, he speaks about his identity, which has nothing to do with football. He knows that his identity is a man of God and a disciple and follower of Jesus. That's who he is. All week long, I saw these video clips of interviews from him. But it's not just him. It's many people throughout the NFL and professional sports, too. In fact, I, I heard from Christian McCaffrey, uh, the running back of the Niners. H here was his quote. He says, my faith is the most important thing in my life. I love that. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, same way. I, somebody after first service came up and said, uh, here's a picture of Mahomes. He goes two hours before every game, and he goes over to the end zone, and he just has a prayer for the players and for this event that it lifts up Jesus. I mean, this is beautiful. These players are living out their faith in a big way, and I believe it's causing an effect. A few years ago, um, one of the 49ers players, his name is Anquan Bolden, he also was making big waves and causing an effect, but it wasn't on the field, it was off the field. Here's a video clip, you'll have to listen carefully because the audio is not fantastic, about Anquan Bolden and what he's been doing. Gabbard throws one in the back corner of the end zone, caught for a touchdown by Anquan Bolden. I don't feel like I made it to the NFL just to score touchdowns. No, if I feel like God just put me on his earth to play football, I feel like I got cheated. Anquan helps the underprivileged in all areas in which he's played his career, including the Bay Area. If you've had a chance to meet Anquan Bolden, I said he's a better person than he is player. Exactly. That's a big statement. There's a need. You know, we try to help out in, in any way that we can. We went to Ethiopia to help out with the drought situation there. One of the jobs was we build retainer walls to catch the rain so that you can store it for the crops. It's very humbling when you see something like that and you realize how blessed we are. When I die, I got to explain to God what I did with my talents. I can't sit there and just tell God, like, hey, I won a championship. So what? You know, what did you do to change the world around you? The people who were struggling, how did you affect them positively? He gets it. He knows who he is. He knows his identity. He knows his calling. Uh, he was uh, so active in changing lives and causing an effect that he was nominated for the Walter Payton Man of the Year, and he won it. Here's part of his acceptance speech. You know, I, I played this game, um, just finished up my 13th season. And when I first got into the NFL, man, n nobody couldn't tell me anything. I was living life. You know, I had achieved my dream of, of one day making it to the NFL. But I soon realized 
that's not what life is all about. Um, I realized that my purpose in life wasn't to make it to the NFL and to score touchdowns. Um, God put me on this earth for something much bigger than that. And I realize and understand what my purpose is now. And that's to honor God in everything I do. On the field, off the field. He gets it. He just said it there. It's on the screen for you. He says, my purpose in life is to honor God in everything I do. I love it. That's a superstar, a pro wide receiver that understands his purpose is to honor God in everything that he does. You know, he, he, in his uh, interview just a minute ago, he asked these questions and I'm gonna let him ask them to you. We'll put them on the screen for you. He says this, here it is on the screen. He says, what did you do to change the world around you? The people around you, how did you affect them? How did you cause and effect? You know, cause and effect is kind of a funny thing that everybody learns. Uh, even babies learn it. They, they turn into toddlers and either they get a whooping from their dad or mom or they figure it out on the playground. Cause and effect. If you do this, then this will happen. If you walk in front of the swing when it's swinging, you're going to get hit. Adults learn it too. We learn it hard ways that cost lots of money. We learn it with uh, blue lights in our rear view mirror and a, and a ticket to remind us that if you go fast, you will get a ticket. Uh, we learn it all the way. Now, causing an effect is the same thing too. If you do this, then this will happen. Uh, if you share the love of Jesus with somebody else, then they will know him as their savior. It's cause and effect. Now, we could go all over the Bible and find passages that would encourage us to cause and effect where we are, but the one I chose today is in Matthew chapter 10, and if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it where you can read with me. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue one in front of you, and you can turn to page 688 where you'll read the same words that I am reading. It's a whole chapter. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing today, but we'll, we'll skim through it. And what you find here is you find Jesus huddled up with a small group of people. It's 12 people. It's his disciples. And he's encouraging them. He's motivating them. He's pushing them to be more and more mission-minded and outward-focused. And uh, he sits with them almost as if he was here with us. And he tells us and encourages us about being outward-focused and to, be a, to cause an effect. And right there in Matthew chapter 10, we hear some of his words. Matthew 10, verse 7. If you get there, say amen. amen. Ooh, you guys are Bible scholars. You can flip there in a hurry. All right, Matthew 10, starting in verse 7, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says to the disciples and you and me, he says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out the demons. He says, freely you have received, now freely give. I love it. Jesus says, go spread the message, and then he gives them supernatural power. He says, go tell the message about the kingdom, but also heal the sick, cast the demons out, heal the leprosy. You got it all. He's like, I'm with you the whole way. Let's do it together. He goes on in this chapter as he describes uh, the, the scary parts of this too. In fact, verse 16, here's what it says. My Bible says, Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Can you imagine what the disciples were, were doing as they're sitting there around the table and Jesus says, hey, by the way, you're probably going to get arrested. 
you're probably going to get whipped. Uh, what would you do if Jesus told you this? You say, hey, go ahead and go out. By the way, you're going to get in trouble. I mean, I'd be terrified. I wonder how those disciples reacted if their eyes got big. I know Jesus could sense their hearts kind of flinching and clinching up as they were worried. They, they became, af- became afraid because it's just a few verses later in verse um, 29 that Jesus says this. Verse 29 says this. He says, by the way, disciples, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. It's almost like Jesus has to encourage them, the disciples, because they're afraid. You know, I wonder if probably the biggest reason why Christians don't disciple others is because of fear. It might be in your heart too. I know there's many of you that uh, are afraid to get outside your comfort zone and do something that could be amazing, but you could get in trouble for it too. We all have fear. Some of us have fear that someone's going to ask us something that we don't have the answer for. Uh, I get these questions all the time, guys, all the time, and I don't know the answers either. Pastor Matt, will our pets be in heaven? I don't know. Pastor Matt, the Bible says that when you get into heaven, uh, that you, there's no marriage there. Well, 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 I love my wife. What's, gonna be, what's it going to be like? I don't know. I don't have all the answers, but we have, we have fear for this. Here's another one. Maybe some of you have this one. Fear that you'll lose friends if you spread the message of Jesus more. You ever find yourself um, in a spot where you're not being authentic to who you really are? You have some friends that are like this, and you have some friends that are like this, and you're caught in between, and you wonder, if I share Jesus more, will people think I'm weird? Will they push back on me? How about this one? Fear that we won't be able to get everything done if we focus on spreading the gospel. This may be the most busiest Adventist community on the planet. You know this because you live in it too. How about this one? Last one here. Fear of not being able to provide for our families if we just focus on sharing Jesus. Uh, There's fear everywhere. Sometimes when you go on God's mission, it can be really scary. I get it. Yet he says, go and preach and baptize and disciple somebody else. You got to be brave. What makes me feel better, though, is Paul, the greatest evangelist of all time, better than Billy Graham and Andy Stanley and Mark Finley combined, he was scared, too. In fact, in Ephesians, he, uh, he puts his fear out for us. Here's what he says. Here it is on the screen for you. Paul says this. He says, pray for me, church, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul was afraid. The disciples were afraid. Yet Jesus, knowing their fear, he calms it. He says, hey, it's going to be all right. And here's what I love most about this uh, chapter. At the very end, it's actually the first verse of chapter 11. Here's what Jesus does. He sends them away. Chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he too went on from there to teach and preach in Galilee. Isn't that just like Jesus, though? He doesn't just send you off to do the work and watch and see how it happens. He goes with you, right beside you, right in front of you, right behind you, preparing hearts before you even get there. That's just who Jesus is. He, it's not like he's the, uh, 
He's the taskmaster or the manager that sits in his overstuffed comfy chair and just watches you work. He's in the mix too. In fact, I think the reason he sends us on the mission is for us. We'll put it this way. Here it is on the screen. God doesn't need us for the mission. He doesn't. He can do it himself. The mission is for us. In fact, in in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, here's how Paul puts it. He says, for we are co-workers in God's service. Hand in hand, tandem, we go together to share the message, to cause and effect. One of my top three books in the whole world is the book Steps to Christ. Uh, If you haven't read it, you need to read it. It's like 50 pages long. You'll read it in two hours, and it will change your life, guaranteed. If you don't have a copy, I have one for you. Just come and get it. Um, And in that book, uh, Ellen White writes uh, these special words. It's a long quote, but stay with me. Here it is on the screen. She says this, the effort to bless others will react in blessings upon ourselves. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know if you heard it. I'm going to read it again. The effort to bless others will react in blessings upon ourselves. This is the purpose of God in giving us a part in the act of the plan of redemption. She goes on. She says, he's granted men the privilege of becoming partakers of his nature and in their turn of diffusing blessings to other men. This is the highest honor, the greatest joy that is possible for God to bestow upon men. She finishes with this paragraph where she says, those who thus become participants in labors of love are brought nearest to their creator. God doesn't need us for the mission. The mission's for us. And as we do it, we get closer and closer and closer and closer to our creator. That's beautiful. That gives me courage. It challenges me. I love it. Now, here's the thing. And we move from uh, biblical pieces in this message to some modern day stuff. The way that we spread the gospel has changed over generations and time. And it has to, because as society and culture change, so does evangelism and how you minister and share it to others. People change, and so how we reach them changes. Not too long ago, I read a book called The Rise of the Nuns. It's N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. That's a big difference. This is not the rise of Catholic nuns. This is the rise of N-O-N-E-S. To make it more confusing, uh, this book was written by a man named James White. Can it get any more confusing? Not the James White you know. Uh, This guy is a pastor in a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Pretty incredible dude. He he has a a conference. It's called the Church and Culture Conference that he hosts once a year. And I went to it and it was fantastic just to seeing how the church and society connect and how you reach people. And uh, he writes that the nuns are the fastest growing religious group in America. This is not unchurched people. This is people that don't know about church, don't care about church. It's not on their radar. They don't know what they don't know. It's a completely different group than what you'd think. This is not church hoppers from Methodist to Baptist to Seventh-day Adventist to Baptist to whatever. No, this is a completely different group. Go to the next slide here. In America, one in five, that's like 20%, now claim they have no religious identity. Here's what the nuns are like. If you took a survey... Um, maybe it's a college entry survey, maybe it's uh, to get whatever, your, your passport, whatever it is. Your name, your, uh, your, your height, your weight, your um, gender, your race, and then religious affiliation. Are you Christian? Are you Catholic? Are you Jewish? Are you Muslim? Or are you none of the above? This is a nun. 
None of the above. Not connected in any way, shape, or form. Don't care about it. It's just not part of my life at all. That's what a nun is. And the crazy part about this is this is the fastest growing religious group in America, and it's an American problem only. It's not worldwide. It's only in America. Nuns aren't atheists, not opposed to God. They just don't know about him. It's not a part of their life. In fact, you can go to the next slide. 88% of nuns, they just aren't looking for a specific faith or religion. It's like people that um, don't, they're not opposed to coffee. They don't really know about it, really. And they drive by Starbucks every single day, and they don't ever think about it. It's just, they drive right by it because it's not a part of their life. They, they are none. Now, here's the thing. The way that we reach people, nuns, has changed. David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons, these, these are two uh, researchers, they did research on what nuns think about the church. And here's what they said. Here are several of the words. These are kind of some buzzwords. That the church is anti-homosexual, uh, judgmental, hypocritical, old-fashioned, too involved in politics, some of you guys, listen up, out of touch with reality, insensitive to others, boring, not accepting of other faiths, and even confusing. And what happens in the church, and I don't just mean the Forest Lake Church, but global Christianity, what happens is the global Christian church looks inside because we don't like that, and so what we say is, well, let's just look at growth that we might have and, and rejoice in that. Yet there's four different areas that growth happens. You've got biological church growth. Well, we're good at this one. I mean, you, you look at the Children's Ministry Center on any Sabbath morning and there's 400 kids pouring in and out of there. We're good at biological growth. Uh, we're good at transfer growth. Forest Lake is really good at that, even though we don't, we're not looking to grow from other Seventh-day Adventists. Um, there is prodigal growth, which means someone at one point was in church and connected, but they slipped away. But it's kind of random if they were to come back. And then the last one, which is the one that I like so much, is conversion growth. This is someone that didn't know God, but now knows him. And the way that we reach people has changed over the years and the centuries. In fact, here it is on the screen. The 1950s to the 1980s, it went in this order. You would think, who is unchurched? And you would start with Christ. You'd start right off the bat with Jesus and then bring them into a community and then send them off on a cause. It doesn't work like that anymore. I'll give you an example. A handful of years ago, my dad and I went to an Atlanta Falcons game. Uh, we were playing the Minnesota Vikings, and we lost horribly because all we do is lose, lose, lose no matter what. That's the Falcons fans. We go to this game. Uh, we lost. We, my dad and I go out the back steps of—it was the Georgia Dome at this time, not the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We come out the back door. The 75,000 fans are getting crammed down this alleyway. We're stuffed down this road, and as we're going down this road together, there's a man who's already positioned himself up on a hillside just to the left of us, right alongside the road. And as we're walking down, I see him. He's got a sign, like a picket sign, and he's got a bullhorn, a megaphone, and he's yelling, "You're!" sinners, you're going to hell, and you need Jesus. I'm walking by, and I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm kind of hoping people don't know that I'm a Christian, too. And I, I look around to see who's looking at him. Nobody's looking at him. 
Nobody even cares that he's there. The only people that steal a glance at him are pointing fingers and saying, look at this guy. Because that's the old method that has changed over time. It changed again in the 1990s. Here it is on the screen. Here's the new one. It was unchurched to community. You remember this movement? And these are all good things. You wouldn't want to throw any of this out. It's just the order of things. Uh, it, it went from uh, Jesus and sin and hell to come to the church. We want to welcome you. This is a beautiful place where we support you and lift you up. That's what every church should be too. Uh, but now it's changed again. In the 2010s and through now, it starts with nuns. And the very first thing that connects with people is cause, purpose. I'll give you an example. Everybody connects with causes very well. Everybody does. You do it. I do it as well. Even ones that you don't even know about. Um, you, you'll be on Facebook scrolling, scrolling down, you millennials. You'll see this and, and you'll, something will pop up and say, go fund me. You don't know the kid that got hit by a car that has a burn on their face, but you'll give them a hundred bucks, won't you? You won't do that? <laughs> My fleece week comes around, you give, I know that one, that's a cause. Um, or how about this one? I, I see this all, all the time. You, you'll be driving on the interstate and you'll see somebody that has writing on their car and it says, headed to the volleyball tournament, buy me a snack and they'll have their Venmo or their cash app right there on the side. In fact, I just heard this recently that one of the fastest growing, and I know that you guys are all going to quit your jobs after this morning, uh, one of the fastest growing and most well-paying jobs is to basically write on your car whatever you want to write with your cash app and your Venmo and you just drive around and people just send you money all day long. You're, uh, you're, your job is to drive drive around and make money. That's way better than Uber. Uber just is, is a waste of your time now. I'll give you another good example of a cause. Uh, many years ago when I was pastoring the Buford Family Seventh-day Adventist Church in Atlanta, the church was super mission-minded, very outward-focused, and, and uh, one Christmas we decided that we wanted to adopt a couple of families and go buy them gifts and wrap them gifts and take it to their home. Uh, I love that our church does this as well. Our high schools do this every year. And uh, this is when our kids were really little. Now, because they were babies, my wife, Jen, she would oftentimes go and connect with all the different mom groups, uh, not from the church, but in the community. She'd go to the parks and she'd meet other moms and they would say, oh, well, you, you want to come to the birthday party? Or, oh, hey, let's go to the splash pad. Or, and there was this just little network of moms and, and I hated it because it was all mom talk. Oh, yeah? Like, what kind of diapers are you using? And I can't handle that stuff. But the moms, they loved it. And so they, were gather, they would gather all the time and do different things. And uh, when our church was doing this effort to cause an effect with this, these families, Jen mentioned it to the, the other moms. And the other moms were nuns. They, they don't have any connection to anything. They don't know what they don't know. And she said, yeah, this is what my church is doing. And they said, I want to be a part of that. And so on the Sabbath afternoon that we were going to go that evening and buy and wrap presents, two random mothers showed up at my house. Here's the first one. This is Sandra. There she is. Look at little cane in there in his little, uh, whatever that is, onesie. She shows up. She gives, uh, a, she gives me a $50 Visa gift card and then her own personal, and I'm not sure how she worked this, but her personal 10% off card for Walmart. She said, I, I, want, I want your church to be able to buy it cheaper and here's some money too. She's a nun. She doesn't have any connection with church at all, but she understands the purpose and the calling and she wants to cause an effect with the church. An hour later, this lady shows up. Here's Lindy. 
She comes in, she hands me five $20 bills, $100 right there, right in my hand. She's a nun, no connection at all with the church, but she understands when a church and a body of people are on the move to cause an effect, and she wants to be a part of that. It's crazy to see the effects when you try to make a cause. It's like, a, it's like throwing a rock in the lake and the ripples just go out and impact of, uh, others. The key though, is simply you have to take the first step. If Jen hadn't built those relationships, they never would have been able to be a part of it. You have to take the first step to cause an effect. And I wanna share one closing story of something that's happening right now, and I'm so proud of this, and I hope that it encourages, encourages you, and I'm just gonna leave it with this. There are two incredible girls in our church. There's a bunch of them, uh, but these two are some of my favorites. They're probably up in the balcony somewhere. Um, here they are on the screen. This, these are my friends, Victoria and Violetta. Uh, are you back there? Are you, in the, are you in the top? Raise your hand if you are. Hey, hey friends. Um, yeah, these, these awesome girls, they are in eighth grade and gonna graduate. If you don't know them well, they, they're the ones that are constantly walking around looking for food, for snacks. Uh, oftentimes they get into trouble, but they're pretty awesome girls. Every Tuesday afternoon for the last year or so, uh, I've picked them up at school with my boys, and we come over to the church, and we spend about 30 to 45 minutes studying the Bible. In fact, they're going to get baptized here in a, in a couple of months. And as we've been journeying through Bible studies and thinking about what disciples do, we've now come to the part that really pushes someone to disciple somebody else, because disciples disciple somebody else. Disciples cause and effect. And so this past Tuesday, we're sitting in my office, they're on the couch there, and I'm just talking with them, and, and we, we talked about discipleship, and at the very end, I asked them this question. Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? How are you supposed to share Jesus with somebody that doesn't know Jesus if you don't know somebody that doesn't know Jesus? And they sat there for a minute, and they started thinking, processing, and, and then one of them said, there's some girls on our club volleyball team that I know they don't know Jesus. There's some on there that do, but there's some that don't because we'll talk about them and they don't know. And they thought some more and, they, they th and then they said, there's our neighbor. He's this old guy. I think he's nice. He looks a little grumpy, but he lives just down the road from us. He's like 65 years old. I, he might just live by himself. I don't know if he knows Jesus or not. So we started dreaming some more, and they started to get excited, and we started thinking, how can they cause an effect? So we thought, well, what if they take brownies or cookies? And I said, don't you dare go there without your daddy with you. So they started thinking, how can we cause an effect? How can we impact him in a, in a special way? I don't know who it is in your life that God has intentionally placed there so that you can cause an effect, but I believe that no matter who you are, in whatever context you are, that God wants you to cause an effect and he will make the way for you. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, today I'm challenged to do more than I do, to be a better disciple than I am. God, I'm praying for this church that you continue to push us forward and push us outward to be more and more mission-minded. May we cause such an effect here in Apopka that it just, it, it oozes out of this city and goes to the, the bigger state and just around the world. May it start here at Forest Lake Church. God, I know that you're with us and that you will be with us. So we thank you for being a God that cares about us to put us on this mission. God, we love you and we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.